0: Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we want to ask on behalf of each one here that truly this would be a worship service. Lord, that you would bend our hearts, that you would help us to strain our souls to be willing to submit ourselves to your word and its teaching. We ask you to do your work through the Holy Spirit in each of our lives Lord, that the unsaved may be drawn one step closer or even to that point to where they would be able to lay aside the deceptions and self-deceptions of this world and trust you as their Savior. Lord, we pray for those who are saved that are struggling with life and circumstance and all of the things that just swirl about us. Lord, that truly we would understand and know that you are and that you are good. And without faith, it's impossible to please you. Lord, we ask that we would be able to lift your name up and humble ourselves, that you may be worshipped in this building this morning. And Lord, if it's real worship, it won't stop here. It'll go on through the week. That is our prayer in the name of your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, we've been going through the Book of Revelation, verse by verse. And uh, last night we were, last Thursday night, we were on the third letter or the fourth letter to the fir- fourth church. And uh, we spent some time on the introduction as Jesus introduced himself. And we're going to start Revelation chapter 2. Just read one verse there. We're going to be moving through our Bible a little bit uh, today. Uh, we're going to take time to explain each of the texts, but Where we're starting here is, as in verse 18, it says, And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God. Now, as Jesus is introducing himself to his church, as he's explaining things, he introduces himself differently to each one of the seven churches, And today we have kind of a a secondary uh, goal in the message is one is to teach how to study our Bible. Um, You can sit there and number one, if you want to learn about your Bible, you've got to read it. You got to read it over and over again. And, And that doesn't mean just sitting there and reading one verse over and over again, though that helps uh, that's why we have the Bible reading schedules that we put out. If you follow that Bible reading schedule, yes, I know, it is September. Uh, and someone says, it's so far in the year, it doesn't make any do-. No, just pick it up and start today. It will make a difference. Read your Bible. Someone said, that is so much. Uh, let me tell you, if you are in spiritual distress, uh, just like you're in physical distress, what happens? They don't give you just a little bit of penicillin. They give you a lot. Uh, you need a lot more scripture than just the daily Bible reading schedule. I mean, that is that is not... That, that would be barely minimum daily requirements. Uh, when things get difficult in our life, you need to increase... Your time in the Word. If you read the Bible all the way through, what it's going to do is it's going to familiarize you with the Scriptures so that when you come up to something like this, the Holy Spirit will have something to draw on. My favorite illustration. How many of you have ever prayed that God would help you remember things for a test that you didn't study? Now, don't let me be the only one to raise my hand. Everybody has done that. Now, I want to ask you a question. Did God answer that prayer? No. God is not going to give you things that aren't there. He doesn't work with premonitions. Uh, He doesn't work with feelings. I, I wish I had a dollar for every person who walked by and said, Man, I just feel like this is the place for me. And I never saw him again. Feeling does not determine truth. And by the way, how many people are extremely sincere, but just sincerely wrong? I mean, if you were there for Brother Lucas' presentation, I mean, that's, that's the history, is it not? Sincerely held truths that aren't truths. And it will undermine your ability to believe in anything, let alone the Word of God. You've got to get into the book. But when you come up with something like this one phrase here, and what I hope to do over the next several Sunday mornings, as I was preparing for Thursday night, that phrase, the Son of God just arrested my attention, and I did a short uh, study on the places where the Son of... that title of Jesus is found in the Bible. 47 times. The phrase, the Son of God is used. And by God's grace, over the next several Sunday mornings, we're going to get all 47 in. Uh, I got them divided up and, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Of course, uh, I believe it's uh, Sunday the 18th. Uh, we'll have Brother Dave Hardy preaching for us all day. I am looking so forward to that. But we're going to look at this phrase as Jesus was introducing himself to the church at Thyatira. And we're not going to have time to go through all of that detail this morning. But the simple truth is, he's saying, it is my church. The church is about me. I am the son of God. I have the right. When I was a young preacher, I used to tell people... "I." I'm not trying to tell you what to do with your life. And I thought about that. I said, boy, that's really foolish. I should have worded it a little better. I'm not trying to tell you what I think you should do with your life. I'm trying to tell you what God thinks you should do with your life. And the only way I can know what God thinks you should do with your life is because it's written down in his book because he said so. It's not some feeling. It's not something that was handed down. Someone said, oh, your, your dad must have been a Baptist preacher. No, he was a machinist at Black & Decker. Uh, he made little tool parts. And he we said, well, then how did you become a Baptist preacher? Well, by studying the Bible. That's how I became a Baptist preacher. Historically, though many have tarnished the history of that word Baptist, even those that have held high office in the land of the United States, the history of the Baptists have been people that have stood only on the book. They called them people of the book at one time. And this is our book, the Bible. In English, we only use the old King James Bible. say, well, English isn't my first language. Well, then let's find a good Bible that comes from the right text and follow it. But as Jesus is introducing himself to this church, he says, I have the right to tell you what to do with your church and your life because it belongs to me. And what we're going to do is we're going to chase that term, that phrase, the Son of God. And the first place I want us to go is Luke chapter 1. Because there's a lot of people that really misunderstand what that phrase, the Son of God, means. It means God in the flesh. It means the physical presence of the Almighty God in a bodily form. People say, I I wish I could have just seen God sometime. I wish I could just hear Him speak with, with my own physical ears. And yet, I want to tell you that's what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in your Bible is all about. Look at Luke chapter 1. This is a message from the angel Gabriel. He is talking to Mary. And he has just told her that she's going to have a child without the intervention of any earthly father. In verse 35, the angel explains entire libraries of theological debate. And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost... Shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. I don't know if we have any theologians in our midst today, but uh, theologians, they're kind of like doctors. Doctors like to have all these great big phrases. I mean, they'll go on a whole sentence. What did you just say? I said to give you an aspirin. Uh, But it's got to be a whole sentence long in four different languages because if the doctor doesn't look smart, are you going to trust him? Now, come on, let's think about that this morning. Isn't that the reason why certain people do things? And you know, as a pastor, I could get out all the Greek words and pretend that I understand Greek. Uh, My favorite Greek word is Slovakia, by the way. Um, And and I could go on and I could do all of these things and the only purpose would to make, make you think that I'm intelligent. What have we accomplished here today? Let me tell you absolutely nothing. What we're trying to do is find out what God said about something. And then we'll accomplish what God wants us to do. Amen. It said that the power of God, the highest, was going to overshadow Mary. The Holy Ghost was going to come upon her and that uh, holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now, historically, in the New Testament, this is the first place we find this phrase. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, we're not going to turn there, but I just want you to to listen to this. As Peter is describing our faith in Jesus Christ, how that we can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and have the forgiveness of sins... He ends the whole little first section of chapter 1 with this statement, "Which things angels desire to look into." Now, for centuries man has either made fun of, scoffed at, rejected wholesale the idea that Jesus, the son of God, could be the virgin born God in human form. Uh, let me ask you a question. How do you become a human being? I know this is kind of basic. Uh, I met a guy on the subway one time that told me he wasn't a human being, that he was from planet something or other, and I wanted to believe him. Uh, I really did. But I knew that it wasn't true. He was just trying to find a new way to... Break the panhandling law on the subway system. But the simple truth of the matter is, we become a human being by being born to human parents. Boy, that's deep, isn't it? I mean, you got to go to medical school to find that stuff out now, don't you? How could Jesus enter the human race without being born, my friend? Is that not simple? And is it not biblical? God implanted in the womb of Mary. The Lord Jesus Christ. And he was born. Not at Christmas time. But that's another message. But he was born. And the angel, which didn't understand the message, he just knew the truth of the fact that this thing that was going to be born of Mary was going to be more than a regular human being. It said this holy thing is going to be called the Son of God. I, I like history. It took 451 years to the Council of Chalcedon for the quote-unquote church to finally come up with a definitive historical statement that Jesus Christ was all of God and all of man. And of course, my question is, if it took that church 451 years to figure out, well, actually 420 some years, to figure out who Jesus was How in the world could it be his church? Because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. Not everything that calls itself Christian belongs to Jesus. You say, I can't understand how that could happen. Well, join the crowd. The angels don't understand. But that didn't stop them from believing that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Now, I want you to turn with me to the book of Daniel. And we were just on this story a few weeks ago when God performs miracles. God performs miracles when He chooses to, amen? And Nebuchadnezzar had gone through this elaborate Ritual. He built a statue made out of gold and it was all about Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, if you don't bow down and worship my statue, I'm going to destroy you in a fiery furnace. Three little lesser known Hebrew servants of Nebuchadnezzar refused to bow down. And he heated up the furnace as hot as he could get it, and he threw them in. And look at verse 25. Let's read verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, and rose up in haste, and spake unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the furnace? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose." Walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt in the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Now it's interesting what commentators say. They say this was a late interpolation of people who believe in Jesus Christ trying to put Jesus into the Old Old Testament history. That's what I have to say about that. The words are in the Hebrew text. They're there. And they've been there long before there was a New Testament text. You can't change the history of the text, my friend, unless you're a liar or a thief or worse. And, of course, we have a lot of those in the world. Well... Wait a minute, Pastor, you're saying Jesus was the Son of God and he was called the Son of God by the angel when he told Mary that that was going to be his title. How did Nebuchadnezzar know who this fourth guy was? Well, that's the second point of our message this morning. Nebuchadnezzar knew he was the Son of God because he made... Nebuchadnezzar understand that fourth guy in the furnace was bigger than Nebuchadnezzar. See, look at Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. Look at verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him Look at this next one. And have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man on earth in his day. And these three servants of Nebuchadnezzar, they were... Uh, Way down on the totem pole, they were over certain things in the providence of Babylon, the Bible tells us. But they were by no means chief of of anything. And they defied the king. And the king said, I'm going to kill you. And they said, we don't care, go ahead. We're going to obey God. They threw them in the fiery furnace. You say, you believe that they actually put them in the fire and they Yes, I do. I I believe what my Bible says. You see, that fourth guy had to show up because they were all tied up. Who was going to untie them? And could you imagine what happened in Nebuchadnezzar's heart and mind as he said, I don't believe what I'm seeing. Come over here. As they stood by the dead bodies of the men who had thrown these men in the furnace just a few moments before. He said, I thought we put three in. I see four. True, O king. He said, now fourth one is different than the others. He's like the son of God. I want to challenge you with something this morning. If an unsaved, selfish, rebellious, idolatrous king could recognize the person of Jesus without being told who he is, why can't we? When we have an entire book called the Bible... Why can't we let go of what we think is true? Why can't we let go of what we understand and embrace the person of the Son of God? There is some evidence in our scripture, I can't be dogmatic, that Nebuchadnezzar did eventually turn from his false gods and believe in the true God. We're not 100% sure. But if Nebuchadnezzar could recognize who Jesus is, why can't we? There's only one answer to that question and it's because you don't want to. We can prove things beyond any shadow of a doubt. And I don't mean to insult any lawyers in our midst if there are any, but you can hire a lawyer to undo anything. Isn't that true? I know you signed the contract. I know that you said that you would do this, but now you want to back out of the deal. You hire a lawyer and they'll get you out. It's just the way things work today. When people refuse to have character to stand by their word. You cannot convince somebody of something they refuse to believe. Nebuchadnezzar got shook because he thought he was everything. He realized there was something bigger than he, and that was that fourth man in the fire. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 1 and verse 49. This is an interesting story. John the Baptist had pointed Jesus out and said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the earth and sins of the world. And Andrew and Philip had followed him. And Philip goes and finds his friend Nathaniel. And Nathaniel says, How can Jesus of Nazareth be the son of David of Bethlehem? That doesn't make any sense to me. And Philip just simply says, Come and see. You gotta see this guy. And so he takes Nathaniel, maybe literally, we don't know, by the hand, but he drags him into the presence of Jesus Christ. In verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said of and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. He said, here comes a Jew that knows the scriptures. You can't trick this fellow. Verse 48, Nathaniel said unto him, whence knowest thou me? He said, I don't know you. How do you know me? Jesus answered and said unto him, before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, teacher, master, thou art whom? What's it say? Can you read that with me? Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. I want to spend just a few moments on the disciples who actually walked with Jesus. This Nathanael came up to him. And he had just finished giving a theological dissertation to Philip as to why this Jesus could not be whom Philip claimed that he was, the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Son of David. And as he's walking up, Jesus said, there is an Israelite that nobody can trick. And he said, how do you know me? He said, I saw thee. Now, this is not astral projection. This is not any of this creepy, wookie-dookie stuff that people claim they can do. Let Let me tell you something. Only God can be in more places than one at the same time. And if you really take it basic and real simple, now this is an oversimplification, I understand, but God is only in one place. It's just called everywhere. Amen? Because He is God. And Nathanael said, Thou art the Son of God. And Jesus, even in His admission, said, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. Jesus said, you just believe me because I told you something that only God could tell you. He said, you're going to see greater things than these. But let's go to Matthew chapter 14. something looked funny on the page it was actually in John Matthew chapter 14 they had been out in the boat Jesus had come walking across the water Peter had just walked on the water and you need to read the rest of the passage if you're not familiar with that story Verse 32, and when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Now I want you to get a hold of who these men were. These were the disciples. They had been with Jesus on the mount. He had taught all day. He had fed 5,000 people with a little lunch. He had put them in the boat and sent them across. They had spent all night into the early hours of the morning trying to row the five miles across the Sea of Galilee. And then all of a sudden, with the clouds moving across the moon and maybe the uh, lightning strikes and different things, they saw the figure of a man walking across the top of the water. And no, it wasn't Hollywood. That hadn't been invented yet. They were scared out of their mind. It's a sad thing to hear grown men shrieking like little girls. But that's what the disciples were doing. And just in case you think you're so tough, I'll tell you what, if I was there, I'd be doing the same thing. Uh, And so would you. But Peter says, Lord, if it be thou, bids me come out on the water. And he got out of the boat. I admire Peter for that. I really do. From a distance. Amen. From inside the boat. I admire Peter. But he got his eyes off Jesus and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus grabbed his hand, brought him back. And when they came into the boat, all of a sudden the storm stopped. And there was a dead calm on the water. And all the men that were in that boat, they said, now we know of a truth. You have proved to us you're the son of God. I, I want to challenge you with something to think about. Judas was in the boat. Judas Iscariot, the one that betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, was in the boat. He said with the other disciples of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. We have no evidence that Nebuchadnezzar ever made it to heaven. Nothing definitive. But look at John's testimony in John chapter 1 and verse 34. This was after it was all said and done. Those that are supposed to know these things claim that this was probably the first of the four Gospels written. We, we don't know. But John chapter 1 and verse 34, John is giving a summary here. He says, and I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Now that's the testimony of his disciples. They worshipped him in a boat. Nathanael said, Thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. But let's go to Matthew chapter 27. And we're going to see the testimony of one of the strangest of all testimonies of the Son of God. This is repeated also in Mark chapter 15, but we'll read Matthew chapter 27 and verse 54. We're just trying to set the stage here, and we'll be done probably even a little early this morning, so be patient with me. But Matthew chapter 27, verse 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things which were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly... This was the Son of God. This was the man who was in charge of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. When he saw all that happened, and by the way, we'll spend some time on the question that was asked of Jesus many times, if thou be the Son of God, he had heard that question asked. That's why he said he was answering their question in reality. Truly, this was the Son of God. And one of the biggest criticisms that people of a Jewish tradition have against our New Testament is what they say there was no verse in the scripture that says the Messiah must suffer. There are dozens, my friend. It's all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this unsaved, godless centurion who was in charge, the chief executioner, when it was all done, said, truly, this was the Son of God. I wonder what that did to his conscience. I was responsible for killing the Son of God. Was he? Physically speaking, yes. In reality, Jesus said, I lay down my life that I may take it again. Only the Son of God could make that statement. Amen. Amen. Want us to look at one more place. John chapter 9 Have you ever heard anybody explain something to you In an air like they totally understood Everything they were telling you And it didn't take you very long to figure out That they knew absolutely nothing of what they were speaking Has anybody ever been there before? I mean, we're from New York. You know, they, they always say, those that think they know everything ought to be quiet in the presence of those who do. Amen? I mean, that's really what we think. I mean, we... And being in this city and, and around here, you do get kind of a bigger picture than you might in many other places. Uh, I grew up in uh, what we would call small-town America, exclamation mark. We did have one stoplight in Finksburg, Maryland. Uh, We were only about 20 miles from Baltimore, uh, from the big city, uh, which is very small compared to this one. But one of the greatest problems when we address this issue, the title, the Son of God, is everybody tells you things that they think and they know. Not what they got from the book. Now, what we tried to do is, the angel said, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Nebuchadnezzar recognized that fourth guy in the fire. He said, he's like unto the Son of God. The disciples... John summed it all up. He said, I bear record that this is the Son of God. Even the centurion that crucified Him said, truly, this was the Son of God. But in John chapter 9, we have the story of a blind man. In verse 1, it says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me, while as day, the night cometh, when no man can work. If we skip down, Verse 13, Jesus healed the man. They brought him to the Pharisees. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. So Jesus had healed this blind man on the Sabbath day. In the mind of the Pharisee, he had broken the Sabbath because he had spit in the clay in the dirt. He had... Uh, rolled the dirt with his hands. He had applied that dirt to his face. He had encouraged the blind man to break the Sabbath day because he had had to walk across the city and wash himself. The Sabbath was a day of rest. If you read in the Old Testament, just as uh, Moses had received the Ten Commandments, a man who was half Israel, Israel, uh, half Jew and half Egyptian had gathered sticks on the Sabbath day to make a fire, to cook food, and he was put to death for breaking the Sabbath day. Why hadn't Jesus broken the Sabbath? Well, in the law it said if your horse or your animal, your donkey or your cow needs drink, they're not to suffer, you can lead them to watering on the Sabbath day. If your animal fell in a pit, you were allowed to work on the Sabbath day to rescue that animal that it would not die on the Sabbath day. Jesus said, is it against God's law to heal a man on the Sabbath day to set them free from blindness? Because you'll take care of your animal, but you wouldn't take care of this man. of course... They couldn't do what Jesus did, but it was very confusing to the Pharisee. You know why? Because they knew everything about the Bible. They had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Also, almost said Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It wasn't that first five, five books of the Bible they had memorized. They knew everything there was to know. They were in charge, not physically. I mean, the high priest was in charge of the temple. But let me tell you something. When the Pharisees started rankling up the rabble or the crowds, they had to pay attention to what the Pharisees did and said, or they'd have a riot on their hands. And so they took this blind man. And they had one of the most interesting conversations in Scripture. And I wish we had time to go through it all uh, word for word and evaluate what they said. But finally, the, the blind man looks at the learned religious leaders and said, It's never happened in history that anybody has taken a man who was born blind and given him sight. Only God could do that. And they said, You think you're going to teach us? We're going to forbid you to ever enter a synagogue or a temple, or any religious place where Jewish people worship for as long as you live, we are going to excommunicate you for all eternity. And they did. Never again would he be welcome in a synagogue. Never again would he be able to walk through the gates of the temple. If he did, he would be arrested and possibly put to death. We come down to the end of the chapter here. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he, Jesus, had found him, the man that was formerly blind, Jesus said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And an interesting question. This man had just been cut off from religious Israel forever and in all perpetuity. And Jesus said, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Now look at his answer. Verse 36 He, the blind man, formerly blind man, he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. Verse 38 And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Can I challenge you today? We have no evidence that Nebuchadnezzar truly trusted in Jesus Christ, but he knew who he was. No question about it. The disciples, Judas was there when everybody said, Truly thou art the Son of God. The centurion said, truly, this was the Son of God. We don't know if he ever truly got saved or not. We hope he did. We believe that he did. But here we got a blind man who Jesus gave sight to. And he said, do you believe in the Son of God? And he said, I believe. And he worshipped him. Now, here's where we're going to find ourselves. Verse 39. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, the day which see not might see, and the day which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees who were with him, with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said, said unto them if you were blind you should have no sin but now you see we see therefore your sin remaineth there is one essential element to believing that Jesus is the son of god it's called personal humility it is getting rid of me It is exalting Jesus above who I am, anything I can do, anything that I've ever accomplished. We've talked about worship on many occasions. We're trying to worship this morning. Worship is trying to grapple with the person and the presence of God. Now, you get a hold of something that is really heavy above your ability to lift, and what's it going to do? It's going to press you down. It's going to get rid of you. Can I ask you something? It said those Pharisees were there with him, as Jesus said unto this formerly blind man, who had been kicked out, who had been excluded from temple worship forever... And Jesus said, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he said, Who is he, Lord? Jesus said, I am the Son of God. And immediately this man said, I believe. And he fell down and worshipped him. What's the first commandment? Thou shalt, not have no, thou shalt have no other gods before me. What's the second commandment? Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. Thou shalt not bow thyself down to them. Thou shalt not serve them. Do you think those Pharisees were aware of those laws? Oh, you better believe everything about them was about those two laws. And they saw this man fall down on his face and worship Jesus. And they still thought they knew everything about God. And Jesus said, "For judgment am I come into this world." He said, I want to take those that are blind and let them see. And those that think they see, I'm going to make them blind. Boy, that's a scary thought now, isn't it? But let's just boil this down and be done this morning. Are you blind? Or do you see? You see no pun intended the point is that until I'm willing to admit that I'm blind and that I cannot see and that I have no understanding I will embrace the son of God for who he is and then I will let him instruct me and direct me that is salvation On the other hand, we can approach Him and say, Lord, I've studied the Bible all my life. I've been a religious person. I've done good things. I do my best to maintain good works. I try to help people all that I can. And Jesus says, you're blind. You can't see anything. Because see, in order to claim that Jesus is the Son of God, you must claim That you're a sinner in need of being saved. That's why he became the son of God. That's why he took on human flesh. There is no church. There's no baptistry in these verses. There's no organization of man. It is an individual coming face to face with the son of God and admitting that he is the son of God and worshiping him as the son of God. That idea of worship The word means to kneel down or to fall down. In the medieval times, when you had the knights in armor and all the swords, the sign of submission was kneeling before your enemy. Why? Because if you were in your armor and you got down, you couldn't get back up without somebody to help you. You were putting yourself helpless in the presence of your enemy. Listen, if you're going to understand that Jesus is the Son of God, it's not just some mental idea that He's a nice guy. That He's born of the Virgin Mary and that He died on the cross. And yeah, I understand all this stuff. It is claiming that He is God. And that I surrender myself to Him. And I'm in need of the work that only he can do in my life. That is the forgiveness of sins. It is trusting only in the person of Jesus Christ to save you. That is what being born again is. That's why the Bible says if you'll confess that Jesus is the son of God or God come in the flesh that you have salvation. And we've muddied the waters and we've watered that down to the point to where you pick up a fellow under the influence of who knows what. Do you believe Jesus is Lord? Oh, yes. Oh, you're saved. That's not salvation. That's not what the Son of God came to do. This blind man saw. And the great religious leaders that surrounded him as he performed this act of worship did not even take notice that in their minds he had already broken the two first commandments in worshiping Jesus. Now, had he? No, because Jesus, the Son of God, is the God that gave Moses the commandments on Mount Sinai. So this blind man was actually upholding the first two commandments. Now the question is, where are we? We struggle with life. I was saved August 28, 1977. You know what I have to do? I have to remind myself that he is the son of God and fall down and worship him. Every day. That's the answer for discouragement. That's the answer for fear. That's the answer for anything. It's remembering that he is the son of God. Amen. Until you're willing to accept him as the son of God, you can't be saved. Nebuchadnezzar, the disciples, the centurion, The blind man. Gabriel didn't understand, but he did what he was told. Are you blind? Then come to Jesus and get saved. Amen? If you haven't been to Jesus and gotten saved, ask God to help you understand your blindness so that you can come to Him and receive your sight let's pray Heavenly Father we come before you this morning Lord we ask that you would work during this time of invitation Lord it's just so inadequate as a human being to present the greatest truth in all of history that Jesus Christ is the son of God we pray that we would not just acknowledge this truth, but understand with our soul that to claim that Jesus is the Son of God, we must surrender all and everything we are. That we must lay ourselves upon your mercy. And the Lord in the scripture said, you will not cast us out. The scripture says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Lord, my prayer is today that if there be someone in this room that is unsaved, that today would be the day of salvation. The day that they admit their blindness and come to the Savior to receive their sight. Lord, I pray for the Christians that are here that are just overwhelmed with life that we would take a little more time to fall upon our face and proclaim that you are the Son of God, to re-surrender ourselves to you and your will instead of trying to ask you to help us accomplish ours. We ask you to do your work, that you may be glorified in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation is three.